Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. So hello, Insider Nation. We have another special edition podcast. We're going to get academic. We'll talk about that, what that means in a minute. But what we'd like to do is uh, recap on what we've been doing so far. As you probably know, as a, as a regular listener, we've been doing a variety of uh, special podcasts around COVID, COVID response, how to be a hero, and, and leadership frameworks. What we've also done, what you also know is that uh, we've done a survey of, of many of you, and we're in the process of getting those findings. Make sure you visit www.insidese.com and register for our executive briefing. We already joined some of your peers, VP and director level people in companies like Verizon, Comcast, Microsoft, Amazon. Boy, the the list goes on and on. Commvault, uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. We have a, we're really, really delighted with the response that we're getting so far in that upcoming webinar. And of course, puts a lot of pressure on Brian and I to make sure we deliver on that. Moving forward to what we're talking about here today, what we're trying to do is, as part of our research process, share or be very transparent of how we're going about doing it. So we've mentioned that we did a survey. We've mentioned the idea about guest analysts. I mean, this is the kind of help that we're getting. Seismic, TCV private equity, sales benchmark index, Showpad, Highspot, Saleshood or Eli, Soar Consulting. These are all businesses that are working to help us get the information to shape out where we're going. And that's really incredible. Uh, No one's putting any money to this. This is all just figuring out where this research takes us. So with that, we've already had a few panels, uh, a few cohorts, uh, as I learned from from our distinguished panelists here. We've had a cohort around sales enabling experts. We've had a cohort around sales and sales leaders. We've had one around sales enablement practitioners, sales enablement practitioners with more of a training background. And now finally, let's hear from the academics. So let's get, let's get academic. So I'm going to introduce our panel. I'm incredibly excited. One of the things that's really fascinating for me is I've gotten to know all three of these panelists pretty well. I consider them, uh, I consider them my friends. Where they really challenge me is looking at the world through, a, through that different lens. So a lot of us can say, oh, that's too academic. But you know what? If somebody doesn't look at it through that lens, maybe we get stuck in all of our thinking. So I'm going to ask you guys to pay attention and really put your be open-minded and hear where they come from hat. We don't need to agree with them. Uh, what we need to do is we need to listen to them because they, they stretch our thinking. So I'm going to tell some stories about each one. Mm-hmm. So... For, I'm going to first start off and introduce Joel Lebon. Joel is a professor, and he's covering digital transformation, pretty relevant topic for the times, I'd say. 
I bet he's pretty busy right now at, at Johns Hopkins. Now, Joel, I think I met you actually virtually from a, <laughs> maybe a, uh, a, a moment where uh, Dr. Dover was doing a, a video cast and I was maybe a little bit more uh, liberal in my, in, in my speech than I, than I normally am. And we've, we've gotten connected and have a, had a variety of um, uh, opportunities since. He's been heavily involved in helping support the sales at AM1 Society. You've probably seen him around. Joel, uh, introduce yourself and uh, let Insider Nation know who you are. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, uh, Brian, for putting this uh, podcast together and uh, make, you know, academics talk and think uh, because, you know, talk and think is, uh, is, is also very important for, for us to understand what's going on, especially right now. Uh, you're right, actually, Scott. We, we met uh, virtually uh, where you were on a panel uh, at uh, Horace Dover's uh, uh, I think that was a, a panel at, at UT Dallas you were on, or maybe a conference, and 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 you said, "Pardon my French." And yes, that's right. I did. <laughs> right, <laughs> I, I like that, and I I, I immediately pardon your French <laughs> because I'm I'm partly French. So I'm a marketing and sales professor, at Johns Hopkins University, and I'm also the executive director of the Science of Digital Business Development, which is an initiative and program dedicated to. A, digital business development, and by digital business development, I mean uh, the combination of strategy, marketing, and sales to uh, uh, facilitate uh, companies, organizations, go-to-market strategies, because obviously marketing, strategy, and sales, uh, they have to work together, maybe just like for sales enablement. Uh, so this is uh, who I am. I teach marketing. I teach sales. I do research in marketing and sales, and uh, this is very much related to uh, Sales enablement. So uh, glad to be on the panel. Thank you for the invitation. Excellent. So we we are looking forward to hearing from you. Next up is Dr. Robert Peterson. So I met Dr. Robert Peterson. I, I I'd like you to imagine a, a little bit. There's a conference room that's on the on a Friday. At the meeting started at about one o'clock the Friday before Thanksgiving in November 2016. There's a whole bunch of people in there. Most, uh, I, I would say, mostly VP and uh, VP level executives from pr pretty large company, companies. And sitting together are Dr. Robert Peterson and Dr. Howard Dover. And Robert Peterson uh, was one of the people who was at that initial founding meeting to decide whether or not we needed to do the Sales and Aimless Society in the first place. So. I'm really grateful that uh, he found a way to get there. I still still think that's interesting. Um, one of my favorite stories of, of, about Dr. Robert Peterson is that we had a we had a really awesome conversation over a couple of drinks in San Francisco that one time. And it's really awesome when you respect somebody and get a chance to get to know them too. And that's always uh, always delightful. So, uh, Mr. Peterson, please introduce this out, introduce yourself to Insider Nation. Woo! Put a little bit of color behind your name. I have nothing but color, let me tell you. Thank you, Scott <laughs> and Brian, for inviting me to the panel, the esteemed panel. Um, yeah, you know how we got to that place in the breakers? Um, that was beautiful. Thank you guys for inviting me to a six-hour meeting that took three days because you couldn't get to West Palm on a flight. You couldn't get out of West Palm. So we were there for three days. So I got to meet a lot of people. But really what put that on the map for me, that initial gathering of the you know, sales enablement minded people was, um, you know, I saw Brian uh, on LinkedIn talking about it. 
And, my, and I was like, well, what is this? What does this mean? Um, so I looked it up in the academic world. Not one thing was said about sales enablement in any journal. It's like, all right, well, maybe I asked, you know, I did a search term of the topic um, in the title, nothing. It's like, all right, well, maybe I'll put that search term in the abstract, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm like, all right, I want to be part of nothing. Um, so I'm going. <laughs> So, uh, I, you know, Howard and I talked, we, we made it happen. The fact that Brian, essentially, because I knew him from years ago when uh, he was a, the young PhD guy, um, I said, well, if he's involved, then this has to be legit. So, um, yeah, that's how I showed up and haven't turned back um, since. A little on me is I, you know, I worked in sales. I was a 100% commissioned sales guy on the phone, um, financial industry, sold ink on paper in Washington, D.C., my first sales job. I'm the editor of the Journal of Selling, which is an academic um, journal. I, I, get, I use improv in the classroom to get people thinking, get them engaged, and just don't assume that, you know, some pat answer is going to work. You need to be thinking. So um, I'm just out here doing some, having some fun. Howard and I have been doing some research that um, the academics have fought us tooth and nail and told us we don't know what we're talking about. And this whole customer journey thing is just terms we're making up and um, so it's been a good, it's been a good fight trying to talk to people about sales enablement, its role, and it's, you know, how vital it can be for a company that embraces it correctly. So Insider Nation, one of the things that I found so fascinating is, um, in getting to know, uh, getting to know these guys a, a little bit, how the world of academia actually works is interesting. I think we need to do a whole podcast on the feedback that you get about what doesn't exist when we have a whole profession of 10,000 people doing things that don't supposedly exist in the academic world. I think that would be very, very fascinating of how we don't exist because we haven't been peer reviewed or anything like that. So Insider Nation, that's going to be an interesting topic. Maybe if, uh, if, if you guys want to hear more about it, I've got to tell you it's a very interesting and fascinating story as we delve into that. So with that, uh, I'm going to introduce our last panelist, Dr. Howard Dover, whom you've already met. Dr. Dover was on our COVID panel with Kunal and Lindsay earlier, and it's um, it's always great to have Dr. Panel or Dr. Howard on our show. He's the director uh, for the Center of Professional Sales and Sales Coaching at the University of Texas Dallas. Howard, tell us more about uh, about yourself or add some color to the conversation, please. Well, I think, uh, you know, it's fun to kind of connect the dots. I remember, so to kind of connect, have people understand the relationship between Rob and Joel and myself is that when we go out together, Rob and I are known as Joel's bodyguards. <laughs> so, um, it, it, we, and, and we literally will, will say we're his bodyguards if you, if you run into us. So if you see it as a conference, come up to us and, and, you know, Joel will be looking like the guy that, could kill you, but Rob and I would have to take you out. So, um, so Joel's the smart one. He orders the hit then, right? That's right. He's he does. Boss. <laughs> he has a boss-like presence and Rob and I look like the muscle. Um, <laughs> so that's an inside joke, but it, it, it gives relevance that we know each other. Rob and I have, have co-authored several papers together. In fact, um, Rob didn't say it, but we, we did manage to get the first paper of sales enablement actually published in the last um, two months in the Journal of Selling. So, um, and Rob really kind of drove that forward. Um, but 
I met Rob, I met Scott at the breakers with, um, with Rob and Brian at the same time. And so my, my job at the university of Texas at Dallas, it is to, I'm the director of the center. I founded the center. Um, we also do some work around research in, um, the area of sales enablement and also the area of the core issue of efficiency and effectiveness in sales, specifically around sales tech stack technology, trying to see how technology is improving the performance of salespeople, including that's actually bled deeply into our curriculum and is making pretty big impact out there in the world. Um, as a fun note, I've picked up cycling over the last year and plan to do a 100 kilometer the hotter than hell 100 this summer unless it gets canceled from COVID. So, Awesome. And uh, you're a Pisces and you like swimming and golf. Um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> at any rate. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, at any rate. So uh, with, with that, is obviously we, we, uh, we're all comfortable with each other. One of the things that I'd like you guys at, at Insider Nation to, to point out Innovation doesn't just happen in business. These guys are all trying to innovate within the academic community. So whenever you see them, please link them. Please give them our support. It is incredibly hard. And I want to stress, it's incredibly hard to get coverage on new things in the academic community. So anything that we can do to give them evidence that we exist as a role or as a profession would be incredibly valuable to them to help uh, help raise the cost. So that having said, having said that, all of our panelists have been given the, the survey findings and we're gonna follow the same format. We're gonna go and ask, break down in sections. We're gonna have uh, their feedback on each, uh, each open-ended question. I'm gonna direct questions to individuals in order. They're gonna say their answer and then they're gonna respond to their peers. So getting into the meat of the meat of the question, we're going to start with you, uh, Joel or Dr. LeBon. Um, question number one, having looked at the survey findings, what are a few things that stood out for you? Yeah, very, uh, very nice question, because there were very, very interesting questions uh, in, in this survey. So of course, um, you know, when we look at our survey, we always look at the respondents, you know, who responded, what do they do? Because, you know, somehow the response are uh, influenced by the respondents. So of course I look at that and uh, we have 67% uh, of sales and government leaders in the survey, 47 people out of the 70 responded you mentioned. And, and, and of course they're gonna, they're gonna support the field uh, because they are sales and development uh, leaders. So it, it's good uh, first that, you know, they are engaged to uh, participate into, uh, you know, initiative to understand what, what the field and the function is about. Having said that, when I look at the survey and the response, responses, I, I, I think, um, um, I, I, I think, what really was interesting for me is to admit somehow that the function, I don't even know if I should call that the function, but sales enablement has not found its sweet spot yet. 
in terms of purpose and definition. Uh, and there are a lot of people, in fact, talking about that. It is interesting to uh, see that in the survey, uh, we do have some people saying that it is in decline. And to look at the reasons uh, why they think it is in decline, the rationale behind their, you know, their rationale. And, uh, and one of the respondents said, we have not clearly defined what sales development is in B2B industry. So, um, so I, think, I think that was uh, interesting to see that even for those who are in, in sales enablement are thinking that sales enablement needs to uh, define better its purpose. And I really like also uh, some of the answers around, it's something which is in transition. Even from those who say it was on the rise, it's still transitioning, which is very interesting for us in academia because we can participate into the thought process of understanding what the function and the discipline uh, is about. It is also interesting to see that a lot of people mentioned that the function is being influenced by technology and hypergraph of technology innovation, if I remember one of the response. So, so then if technology is driving a function and a discipline, you know, what's next? Because technology is, you know, changing fast. And, uh, and I think that was, you know, the main, uh, the main uh, takeaways from that. The last one is, and, and I have to say, this is coming from an executive who actually uh, said that he funds sales and environment departments. And he also said that it is on the rise. And he said that uh, his view is, uh, we need to stop calling it as sales and environment. And for that person, it's more commercial element. And I thought that this, this thought was, was interesting as a way to envision what sales enablement is about or could be about uh, for the future. So that's, that's the takeaway I, I, I took away from, from, from the survey. Awesome. Deep thoughts already. I love it. So let's get uh, Dr. Peterson's uh, perspective. You had a chance to look at the survey results. What jumped out at you? I would say that I totally disagree with Joelle. Awesome. No, no, we're not. <laughs> well, as a PhD, we have to disagree, right, about everything. Um, there was a bunch of stuff that, that, that as, I, as I looked through, it's like, huh, that's interesting. So I'll, I'll give you my best, or at least the one that definitely rose my eyebrow the most, which was, um, who is the customer of sales enablement? And it, and it kind of dovetails on what Joelle just mentioned about, you know, the purpose and the definition. And that was the article that Howard and I just published on, on, um, on sales enablement in the, in the Journal of Selling, which is free. If you want, you can, you can grab it. And we had a baker's dozen. We had 13 definitions, um, starting obviously with yours, Scott, because you're kind of the, the grandfather of, of the initial um, drive into initiative into sales enablement. Um, with your 2010 definition. And By the way, I have some comments on oh, I'm your sure. paper. Shocking, <laughs> shocking. I'm going to critique it. <laughs> so did the reviewers, trust me. Um, um, but it went from, you know, your 2010 to start it out. And it's obviously easy for me and Howard to take a retrospective and look 10 years after that and, and make some observations. Um, you know, maybe you could have been more parsimonious. Um, but either way, you've got everybody and their brother. I'm just looking at right now at the, uh, at the table. Everybody and their brother is trying to define it. And some more sales ops, some more marketing, some definitely uh, training. 
Um, and then there was some a little bit more, you know, strategic in their in their in their in their thinking. Um, so what 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 did I find when I you know surprise surprise when we look at the the survey results is who is the customer who who is this group of people uh, or sometimes one or two people in the entire organization who are they who are they serving or what's their deal who's their customer and um, I just ran just some some stats or some uh, frequencies on it and twenty seven percent said uh, the sales was their customer um, thirteen was sales leaders thirteen percent. Um, 14, any customer facing function, 14 was at the C level, 11, I, I, I term 11%, I term they're lost. Um, and that's a little harsh, but you know, a couple people said, well, who's funding it is that's who's the customer. And I, 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 I get that. Um, 10% named five different stakeholders. So if you run the numbers here uh, again and combine some of that, you got 40% of the people saying, who is the customer of sales enablement? 40% were saying sales and sales leadership. 25% was saying anyone who's customer, customer facing. Um, 14 was C-level. Now what struck me was that 7%, seven said it was the customer. To me in the end, it is the customer. The rest are intervening variables, or in, they're, they're actors in this. If we're not focusing on the customer, their buying journal, what, what, what do they find influence, uh, you know, influencing, influential, um, et cetera, then we're kind of missing. And I understand we can probably parse that out and say, well, you know, I always thought of it this way, this way. But if 7% are really coming to pro- approaching this with the customer in mind, then we've, then we've got you know, a little bit of a, of an issue. So that was kind of surprising to me um, to find, to, to, to see that, that I was like, wow, it's all about the customer. And I don't know, again, you know, what people were thinking, but there's a, there's this billionaire guy in, in, in China, Jack Ma, probably a lot of people on this know that name. Um, but he said that, you know, the customer is number one, the employee is number two, and the shareholder is number three. If the customer is happy, the business is happy, and the shareholders are happy. And to me, that would make sure um, that you're going out on a sales call, or maybe not physically, or you're on the phone, that the sales enablement people truly understand what it's like to, to be on a call with people, to understand that pressure that the salesperson's under every quarter, to understand what it's like to try to teach someone a new skill, ability, um, and how resistant our sales forces can be to anything new, different, or you should do this. Um, so I think if the, to be more effective, uh, I think the sales uh, enablement people need to, uh, as much as they can, earn the trust and then um, be willing to listen to the sales, the force of sales leaders, and that'll make them that much more effective in, in their job. And I have a feeling that a lot of them already have that relationship. And we'll probably talk about this later, but there's a difference between people who do this well and people who don't do this so well. So mm-hmm. that was one of the things that jumped out at me on who, who they thought the customer um, was and how that percentage is divvied up. Interesting. So Insider Nation, do you see why it's important for us to get a academics perspective? I, I didn't even think of breaking down the, the survey responses. So the work that Dr. Peterson had to do to get those percentages that he rattled off was that was some sweat equity right there. Or maybe because he's a professor, he had some students do it for him. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But there was sweat equity involved. <laughs> Whether he outsourced the labor or not, it's interesting he's bringing up a Chinese company as his frame of reference. But 
any rate, uh, joking aside, that's some, this is the kind of perspective that we want to be able to get. And I would love to be able to compare customer first, employees second, stake shareholders third with the opinions of the, uh, <laughs> the lead investors at TCV. It'd be interesting if they would rank it that way. But uh, this is why we do these things to figure out where the right balance is. So Dr. Dover, how about you? What were your, uh, what your, were your initial responses or rea so, reactions to the responses? You know, I think the, the, the first and, and foremost response is that there, there's a bit of a selection. You, you know this, and, and I know this, there's a bit of selection bias that, or, or sample bias that the, the people that have filled out the survey are probably people who are very on the upside and, and positive to the field. They probably invest in your forecast and they, they follow you and Brian. So given, given that that is the sample, so we would assume these are people who are pretty, that the data clearly shows that they feel that things are on the upside. And, and so, you know, that's clearly defined by the data and I think when you look at it, that we have a majority of the people are um, sales enablement leaders. A few of them, we've got salesperson sales management coming in at, at, at only you know, 10 of the respondents. There's another data set that, that Rob and I have been doing some research on. And, and one of the things we found um, that we haven't gotten to the point of being able to publish yet or figured out how to publish it or, you know, anyway, it's just in some early analysis, is that there, there seems to be in that data a very definitive conflict between the view of the problem and the field between the executive, the sales manager, and sales enablement. And, and so whenever we're looking at the value of the field um, and we only get one sample, we're, we're going to get a biased view. And, and we clearly saw that in this other data set that was global. And so that was one of the first things I looked at and said, okay, we have a predominant view of the, the actual um, practitioner. Now, this would be the same thing as for those in an enablement to say, well, you know, we need to get the view of the customer. What is the buyer doing? Um, in, instead of just hearing what the, the sellers are doing, because without context of the buyer, then we don't necessarily get the full picture of what's happening. We just get the picture of the seller. And so that's my first thought is that we're getting a view or a lens from the industry, but not necessarily, we don't get a good feel or a good view from the people that this group serves. And so therefore, all of, all of the results need to be taken within that context. Um, an interesting side piece, I think, is I look at the operational excellence question, what, what's the strategy that we should be in, that most people chose operational excellence and less people chose innovation. Um, that's, I, I just find that kind of interesting. I think for for existence in the future, I think we've just entered a space and a time that innovation is going to be the currency of, of the next 18 months to two years. Um, I don't think anybody knows how to do operational excellence in, in complete chaos. Um, 
and, and I think the more the more I'm having phone calls with with sales executives, it's interesting how often I'm getting a call and saying, I just want to talk to you about what everybody else is doing right now. So I, because I know what I'm doing and I must not be comfortable with what I'm doing. So I'm going to call a professor who talks to 50 to 60 to 70, you know, executives like me. And I'm going to say, Hey, so what's everybody else doing right now? And, and those have been fascinating calls to hear people say, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. And then really if, if I'm, if I'm, if the focus of that call is operational excellence, it, it, so let me, the hint is it, it isn't. It isn't ever about operational excellence. It's actually about how do I redefine what I'm going to do because what I'm doing, I know I can't keep doing or I'm gonna be having to lay off a whole bunch of people. So if I can find the innovation and the new, what is the new thing I should be doing? What are the new motions? What are the new uh, messaging? What is the new everything? What's the maybe even the new structure given that we all were just, you know, we all just entered a space where if your structure was cheap, you, you're now, you know, sitting with no clothes. So now you've got to figure out, okay, now I've really got to defend what I'm doing and innovate into a new normal and a new revenue generating function. And then I need to worry about operational excellence. So I find that fascinating that, that we, may, we may be focusing in the wrong space but you know, once again, this is where the that bias can come through. Thank you, Howard. Before we uh, ask you guys to react to different things, I want to highlight a couple things that I want Insider Nation to pay particular attention to. Uh, so I like that uh, Dr. Dover called out the sampling bias uh, of of our study. I'm a huge advocate of calling out your biases uh, for for good research. So yes, we definitely have a sampling. Uh, bias. There's also bias that goes into the analysis. That's why we're doing so many panels. Uh, some people pay attention to those kinds of things like Dr. Dover does. Other people concentrate on different things and we want to be able to round out that perspective. I think it's also really important as Dr. Dover said is to take different data sets and how you define a different data set is, is different. I think a lot of people who are less removed from statistics and analysis and research think a data set is just a spreadsheet with numbers but there's data sets of qualitative feedback, survey questions, uh, think about perpetual focus group and being in the middle of the sales enablement society gave me a perpetual focus group of a lot of things going on. Howard's got his own community that he's involved with, uh, Dr. Peterson and Dr. LeBon all, each do. So we're asking you guys to just be, be aware that when these guys are talking about these things, these guys are all trained and whenever they produce something, it's going to get ripped to shreds by a bunch of peers. So that's why he's bringing up data sets. It's perfectly legitimate. There's nothing that you can produce that doesn't have bias. And part of the inquiry here is to figure out how we reduce as much bias as possible. So uh, having said that, uh, so Joel, you went first. What are your reactions to hearing your peers? Well, my first reaction is Rob uh, answer question one with question two, right? <laughs> because question two was, what was your favorite question? And you said, what was your favorite question? Which is great <laughs> because his favorite question was my answer to question two. <laughs> because I do think that uh, 
you know, it was a very nice question to ask, who is the customer of sales enablement? And maybe uh, we, we're going to discuss that a little bit later because that was my favorite question. I really like how uh, Rob, you know, broke, broke that down into the percentages. I, I, I did that more around the, the narratives. And, uh, and, 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 I think, and I think he's right to, uh, to question, uh, you know, the, the, the very purpose of, of sales enablement uh, and again, I, I would like also to discuss, you know, about this in terms of, is it a function? Is it a field? Is it a discipline? I think this is very important because we have that question coming from, from the response you have in, in your survey. And to uh, Harvard's point, I, 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 you know, this is how we are wired. We, we look at the bias. Uh, in the uh, in the uh, in the uh, you know sample, of course, and uh, and and this is why I was very interested to look at those who uh, did not say that it was on the rise because you know sixty seven percent of the respondent was sales enablement leaders. So of course, they gotta uh, support their 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 field and function. And when when you look at that, uh, someone said, and I think it was someone uh, uh, who, who said that. The, the function of the field is, is on the decline. It said there's no set of standard or strong certifications like in the financial industry for CFO, CPA, etc. I think that's important because basically mm -hmm. this is also what we are talking about with Rob and and her work, which is what is what is this? What is the purpose of, of this? Uh, what 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 do we want to to achieve with such a function? Uh, which is uh, spread over the organization. Uh, I really like also from the survey people talking about sales enablement has to move from training, uh, maybe more to consulting inside, consulting within the organization. Uh, I, I think this is also very interesting to uh, really uh, help define the field. And, and you said you have a definition. I mean, this is very important. And, and I mean, you, you, not one definition, several definitions. It's important to start with uh, a couple of definitions to define what we are talking about. So this is, this is my takeaway from, from the discussion. We are questioning the question to you know, remain uh, current about our, our thinking on, on what we are talking about. Excellent. How about you, uh, Mr. Peterson? I appreciate uh, Joelle calling me out there as a Full professor, tenured at Northern Illinois University, the second oldest sales program in the country. I will, uh, I'll answer any question I want in any order I want. <laughs> because when I go home, I'm not in charge of anything. So, um, no, I, um, I, I do appreciate that question, obviously. I do appreciate what uh, Joelle and Howard, you know, had, had talked about. Um, you know, the, the sampling bias. I mean, what we're looking at is people who've drank the Kool-Aid. Um, who believe in this? You don't go out and you know, follow, you know, find a survey, be connected to a survey, and something you totally don't believe in. It just doesn't happen that that often. So yeah, I think this was um, um, great that Howard uh, pointed um, that out. Um, and what Joelle just hit on too, I, I really in, enjoyed is like, because I get a lot of people saying, well, we, um, you know, because Joelle was before he was at Johns Hopkins doing the you know the technology and, and you know especially at the grad level. He too was at a sales, you know, program university as, as I am, as Howard's, you know, started 
Um, there's only about 55 of those across the country that have made a, a determination that sales education is going to be something that we do. And everybody asks us, okay, now we need sales enablement education. We need a program. We need a degree or this and that. And, like, and we've told everybody that's not going to happen for quite a while. We can't even get an HBR, a Harvard Business Review um, article on how important this is and how many things it affects and how many places that it has helped, et cetera. So before, you know, before we get ready to teach all this, um, I mean, I've dropped it into, uh, I mean, I hit Eli Cohen. He flew out from San Francisco to teach, to tell to talk to my EMBA class one, one night here in Chicago. Um, and so we're going to have to start there, but we're going to need some cases. We're going to need some, obviously some speakers. We're going to need some more publications because the rest of the faculty across this country will need to look for resources. The same thing that the sales enablement professional does within the company. Well, what resources do I have? What do people believe in? What relationships do I have to build upon? Um, so what we're trying to do in the academia world is pretty much what you know, the sales enablement director or manager is, is trying to do is trying to make sense of all this, trying to, um, you know, satisfy all the resistance uh, that we're, we're being always being thrust, uh, thrust upon. Um, and they're in the same, same boat on a daily, on a daily basis. Um, so yeah, the, I like the, the, the bias thing. I like, I like what Joel, and he might've missed my first answer because it was in French and maybe he didn't understand my amazing French. Then you have to say, excuse my French. Uh, pardon my French. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right, Scott? It, right? That's exactly right, Joel. That's how yeah. you become friends with Joel immediately. He'll tell you the exact words that you should have said mm. <laughs> instead of my version of the French. Yeah. Any rate, I still love that. Awesome. So, Dr. Dover, please comment on, on your, your esteemed peers. What were your reactions to their... I I think, you know, I think this concept of who's the customer, I, you know, I, I think this idea of what is sales enablement, that the other paper that Rob and I have really been immersed in is, you know, a lot of people don't know that, that Rob Peterson um, took a sabbatical for, from NIU and sabbatical means he didn't teach for eight, eight months. And Joel and I thought he was being a bum because he was, but he, he immersed himself in the sales enablement field. He went on road trips. He, he went around the country and he interviewed, he interviewed people around the world. And for, for six to eight months, he immersed himself in doing an ethnographic and, and study and definitely pulled things from other sources in the sales enablement society, web pages and the, the different discussion groups. And I think one of the things that we, we, we're working on analyzing that, we, we have a paper that really takes all of that ethnographic study and brings it in to saying, what is the current view of all of the people, not just the thought leaders, not just the, you know, the, the paper we put out is we call the dirty dozen. Um, it's the baker's dozen now, but there's the dirty baker's dozen of the 12 definitions that occurred about two to three years ago. And Scott, you have one of those definitions that we included. Um, and that was years ago, two or three years ago. But I think we're still in this space of saying, we're, we're operating around who do we serve? What do we do? And, and the challenge, as Rob just pointed out, you know, Rob and I did a presentation and we were in, um, I'm forgetting, well, we, we were in Paris, Rob. 
And Rob and I did a one-two punch. I did a presentation. Rob did a presentation. And the editor from HBR came up to us and said, we'd like you to create an HBR article around sales enablement. So Rob and I were like, oh, hallelujah, we're going to get this kind of early. So we haven't told the story to, to you, Scott, and other people. Um, and we started moving forward. And then all of a sudden, they dropped the ball completely. And what we do know is they went for digital transformation instead. And they said, well, we don't, we're, they just quit talking to us. Um, they found, so once again, I think it's just this issue that is it, if it's on the rise, we need to define it. We need to understand it. And I think what Rob and myself and a, and a couple of other of our co-authors who are in good, very good at ethnographic research and analysis, I think we found the pulse and the common ground through all of that work. And I'm very excited to get it out there. And, and uh, Scott, I think that is going to cause a lot of debate within the industry when we can get that paper released. Um, it was substantially beat up even worse than the other papers. Um, and it's been a painful six months to meticulously go through and, and try to understand that. But it really circles around a couple of concepts which, which have just been brought up by my peers. What, what is, who is the customer? What is enablement? And why is it different than anything we've already had? Why is that not training on steroids? Why is it not technology on steroids? In fact, one of the comments that Rob and I just died about was, um, so this is just CRM. All you need to do is add CRM and you can do everything you guys described. And that is the take when, when, we, when we try to describe this field. And, and I think I came to the epiphany of saying, wow, you know what? We're not telling a good story. We mm -hmm. can't tell a story that describes what this field does. And I think we got to the point in that paper, and, and Rob can say yes or no, where, where I think we said, you know what? You're right. We have to defend the field. We have to define and defend the field to, to, to move it forward. Um, and I think that's, I think that's where we're at because we we're talking to executives. We're talking to professors who are talking to executives. And they're like, uh, I don't see the new here. I don't see anything here. And um, so I, I think these comments by Joel and Rob are very, very serious and important questions around the customer, around the definition, around the function. And it, and it can't be siloed. Um, a lot of the work is siloed. Some people have their own lens of what this all is. So just a couple quick reactions. So to summarize, I think that um, Dr. Peterson was Jane Goodall living among us gorillas. <laughs> is, is, is that fair? It was an so interesting he, saga, yes. Loved it. Uh, and uh, the second thing is, what are ethnographic? What does that mean? Ethnographic is an immersion as opposed to just sending out a survey. I shouldn't say just, instead of using a survey. You're, and it's even beyond a qualitative, that you're living amongst it. So we... So you're Jane Goodalling it. Well, yeah. totally. I mean, we, 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 we harnessed everything from the Sales Enablement Society's daily, you know, forum that they, that they I mean, I've been on that for forever, um, to, you know, I'm the, I'm the, I, I'm the uh, sit on the board for the Chicago version of the Sales Enablement Society. So 
everything we've done there. So I was looking in every conversation that was documenting and looking and challenging, and not necessarily challenging, but asking for, for, for more information. So um, without you know, grabbing a paycheck with sales enablement as the title, I was hanging out as much as I could with the, uh, the folks who were responsible for that, that role. So am I doing ethnographic analysis by having analysts analyze data that was collected? What analysis am I doing? Um, you're actually, that's part of the, of the, 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 the process. You can't just, if you gather qualitative data, you just can't have one person interpret it. You, because that's you. Okay. You have to have a more than one, um, an, uh, somebody to analyze it. And then you look at how, where they agreed and where they disagreed. And this is exactly what you're doing now is you're taking a look at this, uh, data oh. and interpreting it. And so if you, then you look for patterns and themes based on all the, the crazy academics and practitioners and sales enablement folks, then you look for what themes came out of that. You're ready for your next book, Scott and uh, Brian. Gotcha. So this is foreshadowing for you, Dr. Dover. I've just learned something. <laughs> just, so, just, so we're, just so we're clear. I have never heard of this term. So if you guys could give me a rubric that right. I can follow to make sure that I'm doing ethnographics the correct way, please do that so that I can provide legitimacy to uh, my analysis. And the other thing that I'd like to, to, to come out is you were talking, um, actually all of you guys were talking, it seems like, so what is this thing? Uh, in going through the interviews, I think last week my mind broke because I, 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 I couldn't fit it around. And the next morning I woke up and I had the image of a platypus in, in my head. And the way that my metaphor is, is that sales enablement is a platypus. It's a thing, but what the hell is this thing? <laughs> so that's, that's where I'm going. So I really appreciate the, uh, I, I really appreciate the, appreciate the diagnosis that you guys are providing. So let's move on to our next question. And our next question is, is so this is going to be interesting. Maybe uh, you don't know, Joel, about whether or not the, who the customer is, is Dr. Peterson's favorite question. It's just right. the one that he chose to comment on. Right. So, but we're going to find out right now. I can't wait. Your colleague, Dr. Levon, called you out for answering your, the favorite question, but the second question of part two is, what is your favorite question and why? I do love that question. I also like the question that you talked about, you know, if you're writing a letter to the, the shareholders, um, and that's kind of what kind of brought up that that Jack Ma quote, because I was trying to remember, I think it was uh, Warren Buffett who talks about, hey, you know, no one goes to the office every day thinking about the shareholder. They're thinking about what their responsibilities and whatnot. And if you look at the sales enablement person, they go to the work without a lot of control. It's like a coach. You're not out on the field with the other baseball, basketball, football, whoever players. You're on the sidelines and you can't own the outcome directly. Um, um, and so to me, it's like, yeah, what are these, what are these people, what do these people do and, and whatnot? And uh, how do they influence and how do they get joy? And any sales manager who's listening to this knows exactly the difference from going from the field and having your own number and closing a sale, making the customer happy to, you know, being uh, one level removed from that. That's a different way of, of looking at things. And so these, these people who are in the trenches for sales enablement, amazing folks trying to balance so many things. And the fact that I stole uh, or I went out of order, Joelle is just going to have to work with me on that one. I'll fail the test. How's that? 
Well, actually, you could say that the the, the letter to shareholders was your favorite one, and then Joel. Oh yeah, then we can. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I really liked uh, who was the customer and Howard. Um, Howard mentioned it too about you know what business uh, strategy should sales enablement pick up and follow and. Howard mentioned, it's like, yeah, we're talking about operational excellence. And I believe in that. There's a lot of uh, fat in there, like, you know, marketing folks making some great marketing content tools that never get used, possibly because they're horrible, possibly because the sales reps don't even know it exists. So, um, but I looked at that one, it was 66. So two thirds percent of the people who answered said operational excellence is the way to go. Um, but innovation is one third. And I think Howard hopefully did it justice to everybody listening. It is all about, I shouldn't say all about, it is mainly about innovation, putting things together differently that work together better than a bunch of silos uh, working in parallel that don't get the customer uh, and all the other KPIs gelling for, for all the stakeholders. Excellent. So the question to you, Dr. Dover, which one was your favorite question and why? Well, I, I, I still think it's going to be, to be honest with you, that my favorite question really is the stock ownership. But then, then that comes back to the relative um, bias. That, that immediately made me go, okay, let me, look, let me go back and look who answered. Um, because what it shows me is, and, and, and this isn't inherently good or bad, I just think it is, we have a very optimistic group of people that really feel good about their profession. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they feel that you should buy or hold the stock. Um, but that's where the buy, that's why the bias is important because yep. I think it would be interesting to go back and say to the, cause these people, the challenge is I'm saying buy stock in, in, in something. It's, it's like, it's like a startup company, right? Hey, you should invest in us because we're great. Well, okay, but you know, and and but what are your customers saying about you? And I think that's the challenge. I think I I'd love to see that question asked of the CEO, the 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 CRO, the VP of sales, the sales manager, and say it would they buy the stock? Because then I think we'd get then I think we'd get a little bit more perspective. Um, so it's a bit insular, and it. It's not shocking, um, but it's interesting. It shows the positivity, but maybe maybe a bit of blindness to that the customer may not have the same view because Rob, when you and I talked, uh, I mean, sorry, Scott, when you and I talked a few weeks ago, uh, that was not the same perspective of the panel we had. Right. Um, it, in fact, it was exactly the opposite. Yes. Is that it was actually, you know, kind of short it. Um, so which is exactly the opposite of buy it. <laughs> that's right. It's exactly the opposite. And, and some of the conversations I've had with, with companies, I mean, they're having to defend, they're having to defend the actual existence of headcount, let alone that training has gone to, you know, training has gone to zero um, and it has to be defended. So very interesting, you know, some of the support functions, if they're not part of the solution, they're part of the old model that has to be removed. And that's a challenge. So Yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult to exist in two states, right? There's the new state, which 
a lot of us don't really know because most humans have change blindness. And then the, the past state, which you just sort of accept is always going to be there. So it's very difficult to exist in both of those states. Okay, uh, so uh, Joel, you went first. What was your, you get to go last. What was your favorite question and why? Well, who is the customer of Sales for Lieberman? <laughs> I, I think this question is very important uh, because, because behind this question, uh, and actually Rob was speaking about innovation and, and, and there's a lot of innovation going on right now in the, in the field of Sales Lieberman is uh, it, it relates to me, it relates to, uh, to the work of uh, Clayton Christensen, who was professor at Harvard Business School, who is the theory, theorist of uh, the theory of innovation. And he has this way to approach uh, disruption in terms of the jobs to be done. And once you ask the question, who is the customer of sales and environment and the real customer? You ask the question, what is the problem to solve? And what are the jobs to be done for, you know, the, the stakeholders? And I think this is important and interesting. And when you look at the answers that you have in the survey, and, and, uh, we do have some people saying it's, it's sales, it's sales leaders, it's the sales force, but we do have a lot of people who answer this question by saying it's the business, it's all the organization, uh, it's the executive suite, uh, it's the CRO, it's so, if you have so many stakeholders, potential customers and jobs to be done, and we still have not have an agreement on the answer, I think it questions uh, the overall definition of what's the purpose of sales and environment. So I think that's a very important question for which we have to find an answer we can agree on because it's a critical question. Uh, uh, so we understand the problem to solve behind uh, the customer's needs. And, and I think uh, that uh, the customers is really also outside the organization, just like Rob said. The customer is the real customers outside the organization. Yet the problem becomes how do you um, align um, the stakeholders around sales and environment to serve the customers outside the organization? So I'm gonna say then what is my second most favorite question, and I think that was one of Rob's as well, is uh, if sales and everyone was a business, what business it would be? Because when you look at the answer, you have very, very different answers. It's consulting, it's grocery delivery, it's service delivery, it's oil and gas exploration and production, it's- Mission control. Yes, exactly. I love this one. Mission control for space launch. <laughs> right. So it's, it, it's important because once you define a business, you have to define the business model, right, of your business and how you add value to your stakeholders. So what is the business model of sales and environment? I think that's an important question. And coming back to the definition 
of 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 this as a as a domain, as a field, as a discipline, as a function. We have to be careful with definition. This is why definition is so important because we can define something based on the antecedent of that something, which is what is driving sales enablement, what is causing sales enablement. We can define something by the manifestations of that something, which is what is at core sales enablement. What is it? Training, technology, marketing, and sales, for example. Or what is the consequence, the outcome of what we are defining, which is, to Rob's point, maybe driving better customer centricity and customer value with aligned uh, stakeholders. So it's very important. And if you don't look at the way we define things, you can have people defining things because of the antecedents, people defining things because of the consequence, because <coughs> things because of the manifestations, and we are not talking about the same thing which is fine, but at least we need to know where we disagree on, especially inside organizations, so we can better define the function and the business model of the function for the customers of the function and the jobs to be done. I think that's a critical question, and, and, and I hope the survey will still you know, uh, be going because maybe we're going to find some pattern, and what you are doing is very important, Scott and Brian, you know, to triangulate, find some patterns and, you know, and see what, what you know, what, what emerges from, from, from this, because it's important. And, and I know Rob and, 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 uh, and, and Howard are doing a beautiful work and job at bringing that together, and it's hard. And I, and I also share that frustration. May I share something with you? When I did uh, some research a long time ago on the relationship between marketing, sales, uh, sorry, uh, sales and uh, uh, accounting. I, I, I was in sales before. I used to work for Xerox. I was strategic account manager. And, 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 and I know in my job, I had to negotiate terms. Uh, you know, when is it that the customer is going to pay? And it's related to DSO, their sales outstanding. Because if you don't control your terms and your DSO, basically you are giving money, you are giving up on money and you don't get your money back. It's a problem for your organization. So yes, salespeople do have to uh, you know, interact with accounting. And I did a research on that and I, you know, went through the review process and one of the reviewers said, hmm, salespeople, DSO, there's no relationship. It's not in the textbook. I said, come on. <laughs> it's part of the job. So maybe the textbook is outdated, just like the one we don't have on sales enablement, but it's part of the job. People are doing that and it's important. So everything we are talking about is critical to define and to help people understand so they can run the business more efficiently, I would say. Awesome. So in, in hearing this out, where do you guys see the world heading? So we're asking each of you guys to take out your crystal balls, dust them off. No, we're not looking for your magic eight balls, your crystal balls. And based on the, based on the perspective that you have as uh, as a professor, researcher, and plugged into a whole bunch of different angles, where do you see sales enablement heading from here? And Dr. Dover, you get to go first. I'm going to go with the sales field and enablement opportunities. So I see one of the greatest reallocations of human capital in our lifetimes occurring in the next six months to two years. I see new functions, I see new organizational structures, and I see enablement, the, the need to 
have the knowledge of people who can support and deliver that strategically will be essential. But I see we, we, we over-invested in a lot of things from a sales perspective. We, we, were at, um, we were at a really a mania in investment and sales. We'd kind of reached this point. Every, every panic usually is preceded by a, a mania, and we were over-investing in salespeople, sales technology, and sales enablement. We were over-investing in all these spaces and we weren't getting a return on investment. Those days are done. So now it comes the reallocation of human capital and function and structure. And it's going to be one of the greatest things we've ever seen. Now, either that's scary or that's exciting. I think if you- Or both. It is scary. Yes. Thank you. I agree. But- from a personal perspective, are you going to be on the outside or are you going to be in the midst of, of being part of the retransformation? And, and I think there's opportunity there. But I think the people who are going to try to maintain the old are going to be sitting in a space where, hey, that, we just witnessed a shock and now we're in the panic. And there's books about this. This is a, we're now in an extreme economic cycle and so we're going, to see, we're going to see a massive reallocation of human capital. Are you going to be part of the solution or are you going to be part of the problem? So that's the question people need to ask themselves. One thing that I'd love to get an answer for, and I'm going to hand over the, the rest of the control uh, to, uh, to, to Brian. One of the things that has come up often uh, that I've run into myself is, Santucci, you're too academic. So, you know, actually talking to academics, I think that's, you guys would find that laughable. I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't, maybe if I'm too academic for you guys, I got to revisit myself and, you know, look myself in the mirror, but I'm chuckling, Scott, don't worry. <laughs> um, but uh, in, uh, Scott, Scott, what's Acad- Acad- academic is simple, simple is hard. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> but I think that, I think the issue that I'd like you guys to address is why does, why does looking at it and examining something through the academic, quote unquote, academic lens, why is it valuable? Why should somebody think this way? Why should somebody do this inquiry? So I, I, let me take a stab at that, Scott. I, the first thing is there's, there's the pure Ivy Towerism, which can get to the point where it, it can bleed over into irrelevance and insular thinking. I, but I think the academia that embeds, like the, the work that Rob did by embedding himself for eight months, and, and I did as well. I was part of the, the planning committee for the first sales enablement conference. We were very, very engaged. So we immersed ourselves in the industry, and from that immersion, pulls back some very serious research questions that are extremely informed. And for people like Rob, myself, and Joel Laban, and some of our other colleagues who are constantly in contact with sales leadership and, and executives and companies and sales enablement people, ops people, training people, I think that research and that academic thought then actually begins to structure the field 
a lot of our partners are co and, and, and our program are co-developing the future of sales. And so I think to pay attention to the academics that are co-developing where thought is going is kind of essential to understand the future. Anyone else have a thought on that? Oh my God, yes. I have a huge thought on that. It's, here's what academia brings to the discussion is the timeline. Heck, when I was a sales guy, I was 100% commission every month. We, we had to make money. I had to pay my rent. I had to pay my car. I had to pay my loans off. I had to do all kinds of stuff. Where And that's what you guys live in. And that's hard because sometimes you don't have the, the chance to wait for perfect information or more valid information. Um, you just need to pull the trigger and run. And that is kind of what our role is um, in, this, in this solution or in this endeavor to understand. <clears throat> we have a little bit longer timeline. The, the challenge is also academia moves at a snail's pace compared to how fast the street moves. But we, I mean, what we're headed to is trying to figure out you know, a scale when we do a research and what is, what, you know, it has all kinds of, you know, reliability and um, you make sure you're modifying what you think you're modifying, et cetera. So that, I think that's what, what we bring is that we can, and then no, I'm not threatened. I mean, there's no one, I've had people tell me, you know, oh, you don't understand or this or that. It's like, well, that doesn't, my day job is still, is still there. So, cause so we're impervious to the, the, the yin and the yang and the excitement that or the you know mass hysteria over something that other people um, get caught up in or get told they have to do whereas we can watch this behavior to send out our surveys with good measurements and say okay we can help the we can help the conversation because this is what we find and look for interaction effects while some people find oh because this is bounded rationality this is the only thing they know um, not in a negative sense but this is what they see and this is how they see the world but you know what maybe sales enablement isn't good for a company that looks like this. And that's the interaction effect. The main effect said, yes, sales enablement should help efficiency and effectiveness of your sales force, um, but not under all circumstances. And then that would be up to us to figure out, okay, on what circumstances is it best and what's needed? I mean, to answer your first question, where are we going? Like, holy cow. I mean, we're still discussing, you know, what's the definition? And I get there's value. And you talked about with Tamara Shank about, in the last session about, you know, the charge of sales enablement, you have to have a focus. Um, but, you know, every Fortune 500 company has a focus, but how many comp plans does every Fortune, I mean, if you have many compensation plans, if you have 500 companies, you have 500 comp plans. Um, they're all modifying certain type of behaviors and rewarding certain type of behaviors, et cetera, but you do have nothing the same. So the same thing, you know, throw everybody a bone in the sales enablement world. You will have different things, but they should converge kind of on something. And I think that's what effective and where, where it's going is I think effective sales enablement programs uh, are going to be loved. And those that are not effective are going to be thrown away. Um, I guess like almost anything else. And um, you know, you got to you throw it over the wall. I've seen so many companies that when they have a problem, they don't know what to do. They throw it over the wall and throw it into sales enablement because like, it's this magic box. And it's all of a sudden they're going to pull the rabbit out and they do a lot of the times. And so that's why they love them. Oh, throw it, give it to them, give it to them. It's not part of their charter. It doesn't fall within their bailiwick, but we're going to throw it over there anyway. So I, I look at it as going to, you're going to have a little bit of the haves and have nots, some more definition. And I uh, totally agree with Howard where, you know, as we you know take this in May of 2020, there's going to be a wholesale change the way uh, companies do. Everybody does, everybody does, does business and what role sales enablement has in that is being defined right now. So you want me, Scott, to give my quick answer to the question, the future? 
Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So uh, maybe just just before regarding academia, and you mentioned that why is that important? I think there is nothing more practical than a good theory. Period. A good theory helps understand the world. So we have to keep you know building good theory. And you know, thank you, Howard and Rob, to build theories of sales and everyone. And there may be several, which is fine. Regarding the future, I, I think uh, I really like the, the concept of commercial alignment because sales enablement is too important to be left to sales enablers only. And I think the future is really going around, I would say something like hyper-personalized enablement, both internally within the organization and externally. So personalization of enablement. And I think sales enablement is not about, you know, just getting your content across. It's about getting your go-to-market strategy aligned. This is why commercial alignment, I think it's very important. That would be my quick answer to this question. Great. Thanks so much, Joel. This is uh, Brian now. What I'm going to do is hop in. And first of all, this has been a great conversation. I think one of the things that we can do, so there's three of us, there's four of us on here. We've got PhDs and we're in sales enablement. So I'm just going to say, look, you know, we can, we can confer the honorary PhD degree to Scott Santucci for sales enablement, because we're the only four people talking about it with a PhD. So I think that's, that's what I'd like to do. (laughs) Do we have that kind of power? All right, Scott. Yeah. (laughs) Scott's an honorary PhD. But uh, he actually had to drop. So I'm, I'm going to put this in and see if he catches this and see if he listens to his own podcast <laughs> and see if he re- uh, sees the honorary. Uh, degree. Brian, this is probably the longest podcast you'll ever have. And surprise, surprise, it's a bunch of PhDs, right? <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. So, but the, uh, the three points. So I have three points I'm going to say that I believe uh, I'm synthesizing and, and you guys can agree or disagree, but we wrap up every podcast with this. So the first one is, and I really like this conversation. It was this idea of we got to have the wins and we got to come together. And when you, when Howard shared the story about the HBR article and, you know, um, Rob, you were talking about the idea of being, you know, Jane Goodall and the gorillas in the mist and how everybody disagrees. And you can't even talk about bringing this to academia because there's really no cases, no wins. I think that's my first theme is let's, let's get the wins, communicate the wins and come together. So what do you guys think about that as a synthesis or an undertone of your discussion? Big thumbs up here, um, Brian. I totally agree with, with that. We do need to win. We, uh, people like to join winners, but they don't even know um, with, with anything new. They don't even know what they're, what, they're, what they're joining. I certainly didn't when I joined you and Scott and, 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 and Howard and, and Joelle too then. Um, I didn't know exactly what I was joining, but I was willing to learn. So I think that an early win and then bringing it together and then sharing this, the, the story, I think it's perfect. Yeah. Thanks. Howard, how about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I, I think that there's, there's truly a need, like what Joel, Joel just described. Um, we have to have some operational theories and concepts and, and I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of attempts. I, I think there's some really, there's a couple of good books now in the field too. I, I think that's really helpful. Um, the, you know, the book by Tamara and, and the book by um, Eli. You know, we're starting to get some structure and that's what's needed. Um, and, and until you get some semblance of focus, there's a challenge. 
because you can't move a profession forward when you can't define the profession and who it serves. And I, I think we're getting closer, but yeah. So I, I like, I like that summary. Great. Joel, how about you? Yeah, me too. Especially uh, a couple of people in the survey mentioned that it's driven more by technology than return on investment. Return on investment is the win. <laughs> so we have to, we have to see the win and we have to see the return, but we have to work hard to, you know, get, get the return. So uh, I think I, I, I would, I would agree with that. I think that's important, especially because some people say in the, in the survey that, it, you know, this can be in zero party, uh, great potential, but you know, some obstacles, this is why we need to keep, you know, talking about it and, you know, thinking about it and, and even, you know, uh, doing it, uh, in my, in my program, I, I use a sales development platform to enable my students so they can be uh, better equipped and educated about what they have to deliver in the class. And uh, especially in this situation where you have to uh, uh, teach uh, asynchronously, remotely, how do you, how do you get you know, peer learning? Well, sales development platform can help you uh, have people share their knowledge more quickly and learn from one another so you can have better, quicker education, training, learning, returns, and wins. Yep, great. My second point is on this that we're talking about a, uh, really an era of, of entering into the era of known unknowns. And I've seen this on, on LinkedIn in some, some form or fashion, but when I thought back about, and I was listening to you guys talk about the, the, those answers that are operational excellence versus innovation, and it was one or the other, and then hearing that, you know, the time that we're in, the phone calls that you guys are getting around, look, what's everybody else doing? I'm not even sure how to sell in this digital space now. Uh, I've had those as well, where sales leaders are saying, look, I used to have these 20-person meetings, and now I'm on Zoom calls. How do I even sell that way? we're entering into the era of, of known unknowns, which means we have to be able to be a lot more curious and uh, be able to, like you guys say, engage stakeholders in these thoughtful questions. Think about the outcomes and the predecessors to those outcomes and think about our business model. I think, Joel, you said that was, you know, what's our business model and what business are, are we in and how are we adapting? And the big thing out of that is you can't do what you were doing before with this innovation discussion. So that's my point number two is embrace the era of, of known unknowns. What do you guys think of that? Absolutely. I, I think we, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we were in the field of, of you, you got compensated if you did um, shoot aim, right. Or not even aim, you just shoot. And now, right. now we're in the field of, you better have precision aim and then shoot. And I, and I, and I think the unknown is going to continue for a while. And so, you know, a lot of effort um, has to be more precise. And I think we're in a field that isn't used to that need for precision. We've had a decade where it wasn't required. And so we've got a bunch of people with, with, with motion function and attitude that, you know, you don't need to be contextual and focused. Um, and now we're in a space in which you can come off tone deaf. Um, and that tone deafness is going to continue to, yeah, so we're in the, we're, yeah, we're definitely, 
in a state of unknown and iteration is going to be required constantly. Yeah, I, I like that iteration. And we have to be comfortable with that. The problem we're going to have to solve is, especially in organizations, the new KPIs of being comfortable with the unknowns. Uh, because, you know, we don't know how long we won't still not know <laughs> about the unknowns. Yeah. And so what are the KPIs? How do we facilitate this iteration process for, for, for people to learn? the unknowns and you know and experiment what what works so yeah right, right now kpis especially in sales are you know are revisited right <laughs> so brian um i interviewed four of my students um who are excelling drastically under the new model we generated over the last 18 months and that without prompting all four of the top producers they're they're number one in their companies and these are, these are pretty large companies. Um, every single one of them says, brought up iteration. And several of them, as I interviewed them, had closed a multi, a million or multi-million dollar deal post-COVID. And they're one of the only people moving forward in post-COVID. And they brought up, I never, I, I'm always iterating. I'm constantly iterating. No, that's perfect. I mean the skill sets of entering into a world of, of figure it out versus a world of, uh, I know what the answer is. Let me declare right. it on everybody. Right. Right. That's completely different skills. And exactly. I perhaps to the other, other panels as well. Right. You're right. Yeah. We, we, we knew so much. We knew so much. We think we knew. <laughs> yeah. That's great. It's okay. The third, or actually, uh, do you want to say anything on that? Um, Rob? I'm good. Idea. You're good? Okay. You know me, I'm a man of few words. <laughs> so the last one is, and it, it actually is related to this, is there's a completely different skill set or mindset or an approach to figuring stuff out versus getting stuff done. So I call it figure, FSD versus GSD. And uh, sometimes I, I swap the word stuff uh, out for something else. But figure stuff out versus getting stuff done. We've been in, in a get it stuff done mode for so long that uh, to Scott's question of, you know, why does why do people react so negatively to a, an actual discussion, <laughs> you know, like we're having here, which by the way, we tell our salespeople to go have discussions. Uh, but the idea of let's, let's listen in on a conversation or an actual uh, professional discussion is in a FSD mode. It's in a figure stuff out mode. And it's more about talking than doing. And it's more about figuring out the patterns and figuring out how to connect the dots and, defending the investments we need to make and, and being able to, to really bounce ideas off of each other, that's figuring stuff out, not just tactically hitting an email or whatever. And I think that you cannot, I think Scott said that, you can't, it's really hard to exist in both states. Of, uh, and uh, that's what I think you guys are talking about is be purposeful about your FSD time and, and don't call it academic, call it to me, I would say call it figuring stuff out, that we need more people figuring stuff out right now in this time. So that's my, my third and final point. Maybe we start with you, Rob, on that. What do you think about figure stuff out versus getting stuff done? I love that <clears throat> for a host of reasons. Um, I think the discussions going on in this country and the rest of the world as we you know look at this pandemic and how it's going to change is, okay, let's, when, we, when we have a chance, we get a chance, and when we get a chance to rebuild, what really do we need? 
and what, what wasn't working for us, but was a legacy and we couldn't change or we wouldn't change or whatever. Um, so everything, I mean, everything from the number of conversations I've had with sales folks who think that the, um, the funnel is an insane thing. All the manager wants to talk about is the funnel, which is the funnel is necessary to, you know, possibly project revenue, but to buy things, to buy the, you know, source that nor what if you, if you're, if you manufacture a product, uh, product. but everything that we do is like, it's now going to become into question not and possibly because of financially, it's like, what can we do? What can we afford? Everything will have a purpose. So I think part of that will be phenomenal that we can throw away some things that we're just getting stuff done. We're repetition and just move, move, move to, Hey, why do we need this? Is this the best use of our time and our people, et cetera, et cetera. So I love, I love, I love that. In fact, I, I you know, throwing when I, every week when we get together with the student or when we used to get together with the students, but even when we moved my, my class online to zoom, I uh, had improv. They had to think on their feet. They had to listen, adapt and collaborate. And those things that make great improv, listening, adapting, and uh, and collaborating, which makes, you know, for great stage theater, is the same thing that sales reps do. So you got to listen, adapt, and collaborate. And that's figuring that stuff out. And I I don't think that's something brand new that I'm saying or brand new to the world. I think we're just going to kind of go back to a renaissance of like, yeah, what do we really need to, to make the customer happy? And let's figure that out and all these other things we might not need a lot of the palm circumstances or things that we just found ourselves falling into and supporting an apparatus that didn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, Howard or Joel, anything to add on figure stuff out versus get stuff done as a theme? Yeah. Uh, Brian, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that you should do another PhD on, you know, Figuring out the competency models for now, figuring stuff out versus getting stuff done, right? Mm-hmm. Because especially in sales, competency models are important, right? You need your PhD on that uh, to understand what are the skills and knowledge that are important to achieve, you know, performance, uh, defining, you know, the type of performance we want, but in a, in a mode and a world of uh, figuring stuff out, the competences might be a little bit different and more cognitive competencies, right? Uh, around, you know, maybe strategic thinking, critical thinking, problem solving, decision making, curiosity. Sometimes we don't have time to do that, especially in sales. Yet, it's very important to figure stuff out because if not, then we are stuck where we are today with the unknowns and the lack of preparation and sometimes a lot of fake news of you know what's going on and what's not going on and fake knowledge which is very dangerous so yeah yeah appreciate it all right um howard anything to add on that before i close this out yeah you know it's i i i give a keynote and and i've kind of talked about this a little bit that we're we're kind of sitting in a in a world in which we're we're stuck in what i call a no do loop Knowledge is very cheap to achieve. Doing functions in sales is now becoming very cheap cheap to execute. And so we're stuck in a no-do loop, right? We, we learn and we do, and we learn and we do, and we learn and we do. And we feel behind because we're not learning and doing, 
and there's so much information that's expanding. So we're feeling anxiety, but yet thank heavens technology is allowing us to do things faster so we can go learn what we should do. And in the whole process, we, we've lost this idea of what, sh it, you know, why should we be doing it to what end? To what end should we be doing it? And what is the, what is the purpose? And so um, for lack of a better concept, it's what, what should we become? What should we be doing? What should we be to the customer? Um, and and let's, let's walk away from that no do loop because now once you've decided what you become, you know, and that's what you say, you know, you're figuring, figuring stuff out. Once I've figured it out, now I go back to the no-do loop and it's pretty impressive. In fact, it's magnifying the effect you can get from the same loop once you have purpose and you understand what you're doing. But until that happens, that no-do loop leads to really stupid stuff. Yeah, in the name of uh, this is the way it's always been done. Well, getting stuff done. Let's get more stuff done. I just heard this. Let's go do that. And let's yeah. automate it and amplify it. Yeah. But to it's, what end? It's the land of more, more, more instead of impact. impact. Yeah, it's impact. So yeah, I agree with where you're at. And I'll say, guys, we made such a big deal out of <laughs> busting Howard's chops about what we learned. We cannot leave this this podcast without going around the horn and 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 uh, telling what you learned. So I'm going to start with Howard. This is your chance to redeem yourself from from the last podcast, but what did you learn? Um, so I, two things kind of popped out. Um, first one is we're still challenged with definition and purpose, um, which is interesting that we're still there after, after so many years. Um, and then I think the second thing is, uh, you know, Rob's work on improv, it kind of struck me as, um, you know, does improv help us develop agility and creativity and curiosity so mm, yeah yeah creating that space and what happens in that space can be pretty amazing but you got to create the space <laughs> yeah that's a good point i learned that too rob how about you what'd you learn well, i've learned nothing from howard like to go on a record <laughs> i have all kinds of notes from joelle from scott from you but i'm looking at my howard list i got nothing i got nothing so um <laughs> I got plenty. I mean, what I mean, what was new and 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 different is just that how probably probably one thing is, and I listened to the you know uh, not every single one of the previous podcasts, but I most of them, and and then this one too, and it's like you got some pretty smart people, pretty accomplished people, people with a lot of responsibilities, and they still we're, we're still chatting about it, um, and we're making forward progress. And, but there's no, you know, total, uh, a juggernaut. Everyone can get behind one, you know, one or two things. It's not. So I look at it just kind of a, uh, to me, it's like, wow, these are a lot of smart people. This is not a difficult uh, situation to do is how do you, you know, support revenue generation um, more effectively and efficiently. Um, so to me, it was just great to just to have, be reminded. It's like, you know what, this is not an easy thing to, to do. And everything, and all the notes that I even took while being part of this call, just kind of reinforced that for me. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. How about you, Joel, Dr. LeBon? 
Yeah, I learned a lot. Uh, and in fact, I learned a lot in the study. Really enjoy uh, in the study, the survey you conducted, the, uh, the narratives, you know, uh, because you get to understand what people have in mind. And uh, although they were supportive of their own, you know, profession, of course, you, you can see a lot of humility in, in their responses in terms of what is it? You know, what are we doing? Who are our customers? What is our business? And I learned a lot about, you know, the constant questioning of, of making it right. And, and, and I think that was, that was very interesting. And on the panel, I uh, also uh, learned that it's, it's okay not to know. It's especially from, you know, guys who are <laughs> trying to know and, and, you know, figure stuff out, <laughs> right? But it's okay, and I and I and I think this is uh, this is this is important to, to get comfortable with, with that, and uh, and sometimes we you know uh, we don't we don't listen enough. We think we know, and we just you know provide our answer. And I, I kind of like the fact that you know even from Scott, who's been around a lot, to have approached that with very academic uh, mindset. To keep learning, and and I think that's 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 very very nice. Well, guys, I really appreciate it. Um, this has been an amazing panel, and and to me, uh, the time is worth worth it, and and it's well spent to get your perspective. And really liked how you guys, uh, you know, built off of each other, and we got into some real uh, root conversations around why why exist, why do we exist, what's our purpose in sales enablement, and how are we going to get there, and. You know, for you guys on the Insider Nation, I really appreciate your uh, continued support of this series on the state of sales enablement. Also, on behalf of Scott and I, we, we really appreciate all the comments, uh, constructive c- criticism and feedback, as well as the dialogue that we've been able to have around this. So as always, go to insidese.com and forward slash research. Uh, the research link has all of the uh, methodology, all these panels, it's all in one spot. So you can link to the write-ups of these episodes as well as the podcasts themselves. So we'll see you on the next discussion. And uh, as always, insiders, keep, keep fighting the fight. Take care. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.